For a few moments, I would like to reflect with you about the things of God and the things of our lives. And I do so in the name of the risen Christ. Alleluia. Well, this is a very different Canada Day weekend across our province of Alberta, particularly after such a long journey through more than a year of pandemic fears and precautions and lockdowns and isolation that the province now with some cautionary optimism is opening up. Now with more than 75% of the population vaccinated with at least one of the approved vaccines, all those over 12 years of age, and I think it's 30% now or more who have been vaccinated with two doses now, there is increasingly possible the reason to believe that the COVID virus may not have anywhere to go soon. Fingers crossed about the Delta variant, of course. Yes, we don't know about that yet. But we enter this Canada Day long weekend with maybe a, a new sense of relief, opening and being able to sort of breathe again, that we can gather with family and hug and with friends and gather with others and meet face to face and restore some of the semblance of what was once our normal, our unquestioned patterns of social interaction. And as we begin to sort of climb out from behind the, the doors behind which we have been hidden, we are the survivors. We are also aware that in so many other parts of the world, most of the world, the have-not nations, the pandemic rages on. Just as we're also aware of here, of the enormous cost of this pandemic. As we think of the lives of more than 26,000 Canadians who succumbed to this virus, people that maybe you know who didn't make it out of the ICU, friends, family members, loved ones, neighbors, colleagues, and, and not just the elderly, but even among the young who never thought they might become ill, let alone die, whose lungs were overtaken. It's, it's been horrific. And there's also been the enormous human cost as well to those who've been serving us in the medical profession, who've made enormous sacrifices, no less than any time of conflict, a war, where your life is at risk on the front lines of life and death as they served on the front lines at great personal risk, bearing physical exhaustion and the scars of psychological intensity of unrelenting traumatic strain and the cost to their families. I mean, it's been enormous. But maybe gradually that is being matched now by a delightful sort of new sense of relief to those of us who will carry on even as we remember all that has been given and all that's been lost. So that's a kind of bundle of reality that I'm aware of on this Canada Day weekend, where it's probably worth us also to acknowledge on this weekend then to note our capacity to respond to a situation of great human need, where we were able to bring all our resources, our ingenuity, and our determination to care for one another, to protect and to heal each other. And noticing that is important, as now another challenge has faced us once again, 
where we are deeply aware once again of the crisis of our First Nations people and in their lives and their memories and their experience and across this country. I think Howard preached one of his finest sermons a couple of weeks ago, where, which was deeply moving, where he spoke openly about his own profound hurt on the verge of tears at various points in his homily about his own feelings of regret and sorrow at the revelation of the 212 graves of children on the grounds of the residential school in Kamloops, who died without the care of their parents, buried with no name. And we know that there's others now and that this is, we have to find out and we will find out. And it's gonna go on for years. And we know how that shock swept across our nation and indeed internationally. Inescapable, frightening, brutal, baffling, uh, where it's hard to know really how to respond and what to do. When you know that even just down the road from us here is the Morley Reserve and there are people there crying and traumatized again and hurt and reminded, just as the survivors of the Holocaust were never in their lives able to escape the mind-wrenching horror of trying to figure out how such a thing could be done to them by others as a people, how such treatment could have been imagined and then institutionalized and propagated and carried out as policy. I mean, sure, yes, in terms of the residential school, it wasn't institutionalized killing, it wasn't nor was it you know, gas chambers and all of that, but it was the eradication of a people. Their culture, their language, their history, their dance, their stories, their music, and it involved the rounding up of people, in this case, the rounding up of children taken from their families in which the churches participated. Is that part of the scripture? You shall know them by their fruits. In this age of reckoning, it's going to be a very difficult time. And the CBC is not going to report on what our Anglican Church of Canada has been doing for 25 years to help with the healing from the residential schools. So it's a Canada Day, but it's a, it's a somber Canada Day. The reading from the Gospel today takes us to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, on what had been a very busy day, an exhausting day, an intense day. And sometime in the late afternoon, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, I want you to go to the other side. I want you to go and get into the boats and go to the others on the other side. Because there's always the others on the other side, those who are not here, those who have not yet been included, who have been forgotten, maybe even ignored. It's really a lovely moment because it's not just Jesus saying, you know, there's some others over there. He says, there's, other, there's others over there and I care about them and you need to go to them. You can't just hang out here and feel bad or sad for them over there or even pray for them over there. You need to go to them. And what we know, for example, at St. Michael's in Canmore, we know that someone from the Morley Reserve at some point in the last couple of weeks came there and left some tiny shoes 
a children's pair of shoes and laid over top of it a braided piece of sweet grass. They have come here. The question remains, what can we do for them to signal or symbolize our own care and concern for them? It begs that question. What's the response from this news to them? On the night of November the 14th, 1940, the German Luftwaffe flew 500 bombers across the English Channel, 500 bombers, with one aim to obliterate the city center of one of England's most cherished and beautiful cities, Coventry. It was the first time an entire city had been attacked, and the attack came at night when people were lying in their beds, and the aim was to cause as much damage as possible and civilian deaths, and it did. Homes, factories, civilians, the downtown, the destruction of Coventry Cathedral, one of England's most treasured. In the ruins, in the midst of unimaginable sorrow, shock, and rage, the cathedral provost, Dick Howard, spoke of reconciliation and forgiveness that commenced a flourish of discussion and thought about what does reconciliation look like? What does reconciliation mean? St. Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in, in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away, and this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has therefore given us the ministry of reconciliation. Magnificent text, one of Paul's capital texts. In other words, there's a connection. You who have been reconciled in Christ, who have received grace and peace and blessings, whom God has done for you what you could not do for yourself, who have been reconciliare, the Latin, reconciled, brought near, brought close to the love of Christ, are therefore called to be a force of reconciliation in the world. And you have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Us, the church, the community of faith, the body of Christ, given a ministry of reconciliation. From the ashes of that cathedral came two things. In time, a cathedral was rebuilt, a new one. But also what came even before that was the vision and the commitment to create an international center of reconciliation. And those who gave to support the building of the cathedral and those who gave to the creating of the International Center of Reconciliation, the medieval nails that were drawn out of the ashes were brought together into the shape of crosses and into plaques. And on the screen here will appear one of those sets, which was given to me many years ago. It belonged actually to our former Governor General, Vincent Massey, who had made a donation towards the Center of Reconciliation. And it passed through the family and a family friend gave it to me then, many years ago. I cherish it because of what it stands for, calling for that fundamental aspect of our response in the world to be a force of reconciliation. You know, it's interesting that our Archbishop of Canterbury now, Justin Welby, used to be the director 
of that International Center of Reconciliation. And he uh, describes in one of the articles that I've read the process that they followed to bring about reconciliation, called it the six R's, just very briefly. It begins with, he calls, researching, understanding the roots of the harm done, listening carefully, without jumping to conclusions, without jumping to the defense of others, but just hearing the truth of the harm that's been done. And one thinks of our truth and reconciliation process that's been going on for some years, and it's going to go on a lot longer. Second, he called it relating, that all the parties have to face who they are and what they have done. So it's not just about relating to each other, it's about relating to one's own self, to face the truth of one's own history and one's own feelings about that history and any way that we might perpetuate the prejudice and ongoing harm. The third is relieving, relieving the harm that has been done so that a new ground of relating can occur. One thinks of the enormous work done by our Anglican Healing Fund. If you go to the website of the Anglican Church of Canada and look it up, there's hundreds of projects by which our church has enabled for over 25 years since the apology by Michael Pierce in 1993, ways of supporting First Nations people in their healing, trying to bring some relief. Four, risk the willingness to risk a different relationship. And, you know, it's, it's the symbolic grace of what is the gesture that we might make to our neighbors on the Morley Reserve. What's the risk in that? There's a great risk because we fear doing something wrong or getting it wrong again or ending up in the news or whatever. But the whole idea that Jesus called the disciples to that day was to cross the lake, cross the barriers, risk, go out there on the sea to the others on the other side. Risk. Five, reconciling. The center is quick to say reconciliation is a long process. For justice to happen, restitution, even forgiveness. And the sixth R is resourcing, the resources to make this possible for people to address their past and live into a future healed. As the disciples made their way across the Sea of Galilee, a storm blew up. In other words, they, fa they faced new challenges that they hadn't anticipated. There was risk, there was danger, there was fear. But that's when Jesus came to them. He came to them in the midst of their commitment to go to the others. And then together with them, they arrived at the distant shoreline and together offered ministry and care together with Jesus. These are the things to think about today, I think, um, on this Canada Day weekend, about going to others and who are the others. Because as Jesus said to the disciples on the sea, be not afraid, don't be afraid. Take heart. We are called to be a force of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to Christ. And we've been given a ministry of reconciliation to the glory of God. May I wish you every blessing in the risen Christ as we seek to discern 
the way of responding to the tragedies that we are aware of and to the people who are our neighbors. Thanks be to God.